own spot if you'd like, but I've had this like video sermon intro for this series, but you never get to see it because you're always yapping out there. So, um. All right, we're going to get uh, going. If you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 12 is where you want to end up. And we're, we're talking about this series called Unleashed. And in this series, Unleashed, we're basically talking about the church being unleashed to really do the mission of God. Let me ask you a question. I'm going to give you a little metaphor here. Look at it this way. Parents, let's say one of your kids was at the edge of a cliff, one step away from dropping, and you hollered over to them, hey, get away from that edge. And they didn't listen to you. Would you at that point say, well, I tried. <laughs> Walk away. Yeah, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? No, you would do everything you could. You would think of whatever strategy. Don't yell at them. You don't want to spar- uh, you know, startle them and then fall off. You know, whatever you could do to get that kid away from that ledge, you would do that. I want you to s- that to stick in your head because when we think of that metaphor, we think of that illustration, what we're talking about is what is it God has called us to be as a church and do as a church to share the message of Jesus Christ with a world that doesn't know him, with a world that's really destined for death is what the Bible tells us without Jesus Christ. What would you do? I think for most of us Christians, we're like maybe somebody who looks over and they, they see something wrong, they see something that could be dangerous, see something that could end up really, really bad, but they say, you know, that's not really my business, and they move along with their life. And what we're saying in this series, in the book of Acts, this Unleashed series, is that the book of Acts, loud and clear, is telling us it is your business. It is your business. And we have to be about it. How do we do it? That's the question we're really asking. And this week, we're going to talk about the issue of prayer. Now, the early church, these early Christians, they had no political clout whatsoever. No power. They had no friends in high places. And they had no places uh, of influence, no seats of influence, nothing like that. And so the question is, how in the world were they going to change their world with, with no power and no authority and no connections in high places. I ask ourselves the same question. Uh, how can we change our culture, our city, the triad? How could we do that if we don't have com- connections in high places or enough connections in high places? Here's what they did. They decided that they were just going to go to the highest place of influence of all. They would go to Almighty God. And that's what we're going to find in this passage this morning. You see, if we're not careful... As American Christians, we sometimes think we can take care of our own problems, or we think our government has more power and authority than Almighty God to take care of our problems. And so we go one of those two routes. But if you have your Bibles, in Acts chapter 12, we're going to talk about what the early church did and this one specific story that we find centered around this character of Peter. So Acts chapter 12 is where we're at. Uh, we're looking at how the early church in the book of Acts was unleashed, and they literally turned the world right side up. Can I remind you that when these believers started, there was about 120 of them, 120 faithful of them. That's like a small church. That's smaller than our church by about 40, 45 people. And yet by the end of the book of Acts, the church was so going, thriving, uh, in, in overturning this culture, uh, unbelievable what happened. Started from a small group, 
And so that's what we're talking about. All right, chapter uh, 12. Have I given you enough time to find it in your Bible? Yeah? All right, I've lingered long enough. Verse 1, Herod, he's on the throne. And things aren't going too great for Christians at this time. They're being arrested. They're being killed. They're being persecuted. Uh, they're being made kind of a public mockery of Christians. They're being brought up on Trump charges in, in the courts. That's what's going on at this time. But if you flip all the way to the end of chapter 12, verse 23, guess what happens? Herod's dead. And Christianity is, it's not only alive, but it is thriving and growing. What happens? What changed in that little period of time? Well, that's what we're going to look at. Check this out. We're going to find this morning, the church was praying. That's the message of chapter 12. The church was praying. You see, when a person works, a person works, right? You work, you get the fruits of your labor. But when a person prays, God works. In fact, it's God brings the fruit of, you could say, of your labors, but it's really something much, much greater than that. So some of you are thinking, I know you're uh, already this morning because you've heard messages on prayer. Hey, pastor, I pray all the time. In fact, some of you say, I, I pray and it just seems like it doesn't really work. God's answering everybody else's prayers out there, um, but not mine. Or when somebody gives up and shares a testimony about God answering their prayer, you're like, either that person's full of it, or God doesn't work for me that way. And that's how you think and how you view prayer. So you find yourself asking this question, does prayer really make a difference? Well, that's what we're looking at. Acts chapter 12, verse 1. Let me read it to you. About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with the sword. So this wasn't just 12, like, happy followers of Jesus. They were. This was dangerous, dangerous stuff. And here's one being put to death. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under guard of four squads of four soldiers each. That's basically their way of saying around-the-clock watch, 24-7. That's what's going on. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. But while Peter was in prison, here's the key phrase. The church was prayed earnestly for him. That's what they were doing. They had no power to do anything else. They didn't know the jailer. They certainly had, didn't have Herod's ear. They were praying. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, Quick, get up, and the chains fell off his wrist. Then the angel told him, get dressed, put on your sandals, and he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell, followed the angel, following the angel. But all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. They passed the first and second guard post and came to the iron gate leading to the city. And this opened, them all, all by, opened for them all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street, and then the angel suddenly left him. It's a pretty freaky experience for Peter going on here, right? Let's, let's continue. Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true, he said. 
the Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from the Jewish leaders, what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. When he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. He knocked at the door in the gate, and a servant girl named Rhoda came and opened it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter is standing at the door. You're out of your mind, they said. Now think about this. They're praying for Peter's release, <laughs> right? And then Peter is standing out the door, and they're saying, no, no, that can't be true. You're crazy. And they go back on. <laughs> That's irony. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. When they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. He motioned for them to quiet down and told them how the Lord had led him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers what happened, he said. And then he went to another place. At dawn, there was great commotion among the soldiers about what had happened to Peter. Of course there was. Herod Agrippa ordered a thorough search for him. When he couldn't be found... Herod interrogated the guards and sentenced them to death. Amazing story here. But we find that what's really going on in this story is not so much that God did a miracle. We would know that of God. If you read the Bible at all, you would know some miraculous things happen. But seemingly, this followed the church earnestly praying is what the scripture says. So that's what I want to talk to you about this morning in our remaining time. And then at the end of the teaching, we want to actually like put it into practice this morning and pray. And I'll, I'll describe what we're going to do in, in a few minutes. So how do we pray anyway? Here's number one. We have to pray earnestly is what the scripture says. We got to pray earnestly. F.B. Myers, he's an evangelist from England back in the late 1800s. And he once said this. You probably know this phrase, but didn't know it came from him. The great tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. I think about what he's saying. It's not the tragedy that God doesn't answer our prayers. The tragedy is that we don't, as believers, offer up our prayers to him in the first place. Look, I can guarantee you that 100% of your prayers that you don't pray won't get answered. It's just how it works. That's why we have to pray earnestly. Now, in the book of James... Chapter 5, verse 17, we find this story that James is telling, and he says this, Elijah, from the Old Testament, was a human as we are, and yet he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. For three and a half years. We don't know how long he prayed, but he prayed, and then for three and a half years he continued to pray that there would be no rain. Why in the world did he pray so earnestly for this? Well, he believed that the nation of Israel was moving further and further away from God. And so he prayed that they would have no rain, so the crops wouldn't provide, and it would drive the people back to their knees to ask God for their provision. That was his strategy. But it all started with praying, and he continued praying. Three and a half years he prayed for no rain once, once it quit coming, and God heard his prayer. Uh, does that in any way describe your prayer? your earnest prayer, to pray for something. Now, he wasn't praying for himself here. He was praying for the people of God. In Acts 12, we find that the church was praying for Peter. That's what they were doing. They couldn't do anything else. They were in a room, locked up probably because it was dangerous to be a Christian, and they were praying for his release. 
what does it mean to pray earnestly? Like, what, like what's our mood or what is our, our attitude, our, our tone? Now, if you follow the NBA at all, which I don't follow it close, but I love college basketball, so I'll follow guys that go into the NBA. And if you followed over the last week and a half, you would know it was the period of free agency when lots of people were out there, lots of players could have signed with lots of teams. And I'm going to tell you about earnest sales pitches going on. Just constant, constant sales pitches to try to get a player to come and play for you. We understand what it means to be earnest in some things in our culture, don't we? We don't necessarily what it mean, know what it means to pray earnestly for things. Listen, I believe that when we look at our news, when we look at what's going on in our culture, when we look at what's happening around us, sometimes even in God's church, we should be horrified in, in, in sometimes. And yet we don't have a lot of power to immediately make changes in those things. It doesn't mean we shouldn't be involved politically. It certainly doesn't mean we shouldn't be involved church leadership-wise. We shouldn't be involved in our culture and active places out there. But our power comes when we pray for these areas. And we earnestly pray over and over. I think people pray differently everywhere. People that are persecuted pray differently. People who have a passion to reach the lost, they pray earnestly. People who are interested in kind of a what's in it for me in our church, those people don't pray much at all. But here we find this earnest prayer. Now Jesus tells a story of what it's like to pray earnestly and not give up. Here, this is in Luke chapter 18. Take a look at this, verse 1. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show them they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly, saying, Give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God, and I don't care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. What's the point? The point is that you and I are called to pray earnestly, and that when we do, it moves the heart of God. It's Jesus himself when he tells that story that tells his disciples this is a story about prayer. There's no shortcuts to answer prayer. It's not how it works. It works like in the Google generation. You know, if you need to know something, you just Google it and you know it right away. That's not how it works in the prayer world. God wants us to earnestly stop and to pray. And then we don't hear quite what we wanted to hear in about a 30-second period. Guess what he wants us to do? Keep praying. Keep talking to me. We don't hear it the next day, the next week, the next month, the next year. Just keep praying. Keep coming to me in earnest prayer. That's what he's saying. Secondly, let's look at this. We've got to pray confidently. James, who's the brother of Jesus. How would you like to have that role? The brother of Jesus. This guy, it would have been really easy for him to say, I can't match up to that. I'm out. But he didn't. He was, he was a follower, a faithful follower of his brother of Jesus Christ. He writes in his book, chapter 1, But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. I don't know about you, but sometimes in life that's exactly what I feel like. A wave just being tossed here and there, looking for a better footing. 
the scripture, in other words, it just means if you're not praying confidently, then you're probably doubting when we pray. Now, this is where it gets a little funny. Because some of you just interpreted that as if I pray for a Lamborghini today, and I really believe it's going to happen, when I go out in the parking lot out there, you know, my little whatever you drive will no longer be there, and there'll be a Lamborghini. It doesn't work that way. We don't have time to walk through all the scriptures to, to show why that is. But we're we're called to be praying with confidence. It's like this. If we're praying, we're just saying, hey, look, I'm just going to throw this out there. I don't know if it'll work. Probably won't. But we'll give it a go anyway. We'll see. That's not a lot of confidence behind it. In fact, this week in that NBA period, I was blown away by how many dollars some guys signed for. Millions and millions and millions of dollars that they signed for. And I'm sure the person that is writing the check, that's writing out the contract, is not saying, well, we'll give it a shot. We'll see. Let's just throw this $20 million out there, and, you know, maybe it'll come together, maybe it won't. We'll see. No, they had some strategy, some confidence in the plan. When we pray, we need to pray with confidence. The Queen of England once said this, I fear the prayers of John Knox. He was this Scottish, Scottish preacher. I fear the prayers of John Knox more than I fear the armies of men. That's somebody praying with confidence. Does it make a difference when you pray with confidence? When you cry out to God with confidence? I want to tell you a story from the book of Exodus in the Old Testament, second book of the Bible. I want to look at this in chapter 32. Moses, he's on Mount Sinai. He's with God. And he's, getting, uh, he's being given the Ten Commandments. You remember, you've kind of remember this. And while he's gone, the people of God, guess what they do? Uh, they turn their backs on God. And instead of uh, worshiping God, they worship idols. They develop this golden calf they put together. They bow down to this, and they are worshiping. Verse 7, here's where it picks up. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people, whom you brought out of Egypt, have become corrupt. Now notice what God is saying here. Moses, your people... The ones you brought out of Egypt, they're becoming corrupt. What are you doing down there, Moses? Okay, let's pick it up. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them, and they have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses. They are stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them, that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. Do you get the disposition of God here? Are you catching his, what he's feeling? You, what are your people doing? They're stiff-necked. We don't use that phrase much anymore, but it doesn't sound positive today either. My anger is going to burn against them, and I will destroy them. Now let's find out what happens. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. 
Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. How would you like to be the guy that's standing in front of God when he says these things? Would you have said what, what Moses said to God? Moses basically turned to God and said, God, please change your mind. And here's why I think you should do it. That's confidence. I mean, that is boldness to stand before God. And if it was one, this one isolated story like this in Scripture, we could probably say, well, you know, God really doesn't ever change his mind, or God, you know, really, there's something different going on in this story that we've got to really dig into the Hebrew to ever really understand. But we get other stories where God wants us to come to him, to plead with him. And remember here, Moses isn't pleading for himself. He's pleading on behalf of God's people. Key that we remember that. And so God does. He relents. You might say, well, God was going to do that all the time. He just needed Moses to stand up. I don't know. Go whichever way you want with the theology. But the truth here is somebody stood confidently and said, God, we plead with you on behalf of your people for this. And God provided. That's what happened here. How do we respond uh, to crisis like this, to things like this? How do we respond? Here's what happens sometimes and why some people don't pray. Some of us, when we respond, we experience miracles. It's a great thing. They see deliverance. It happened to Moses in this story. When God says, look, I'm going to destroy them, and you say, God, please don't do that, and God said, okay, I won't. I, to me, that's a miracle right there, to change the mind of God here. happened to Moses. It happened to Peter. He was in prison. And remember, James had just been put to death. Probably Peter was going to get something similar here. And he was released. Doesn't happen all the time. Sometimes we experience great loss. But their witness remains strong. It happened to James, one of the 12 disciples. He was killed. Yet the early believers, what did they do after that happened? They didn't run away from God. Instead, their faith grew stronger, is what we find. Their message was even louder than we find by the end of this chapter. You might be familiar with Stephen Curtis Chapman, who's a Christian artist. In fact, he's been like on the radio since I was like high school. I remember getting an album way back in high school, which was about seven years ago. So I guess not too far. Many years back. Well, it was about seven years ago that their family experienced tragedy when one of their sons just tragically ran over one of their daughters with, with the family car. And uh, that is tremendous tragedy. I couldn't imagine as a father losing a child, much less losing a child where another child was, was to cause and how you would have to care for that child uh, from then on out. It's amazing what they've had to deal with. And you can actually read some of their stories if you ever uh, get into a bookstore, Limstone Christian Bookstores, Ray Mashinsky right down here, he can help you out, and read some of their stories. It's amazing that their heart and what the Lord did. All you have to do is listen to some of Stephen Curtis Chapman's music in the last three or four years to see what they've done with it. Has it been lost? Tremendous loss. They'll tell you that and share it in their story. But their witness remains strong. And so some, when they experience loss, their witness remains strong, such as, as the Chapman story. Some, however, sadly, they experience shattered faith. They can't handle the problem. They can't handle the, the issue or whatever the crisis may be. And they blame God. Maybe Moses could have done that. You know, 
God, you dirty rat, or whatever he would say to God. I don't know what you'd say to God when you're standing in front of him. That would be frightening. But they blame God. They get angry. They leave the church. They walk away from the faith entirely. And it's interesting. Rarely do these people turn to God in prayer and wait to see what he might be doing in a situation. So some others, they experience compromise to avoid pain. We want to avoid it, so we compromise. We, when crisis comes, they, we, maybe we denounce our face, or we get involved in things that we vowed we would never be involved with, or we would never be identified with, and they start to change dramatically. And so it doesn't even dawn on them to ever pray, because it's not part of who they are anymore. Or, and I think this is a neat one, some experience reality on what really matters. They realize that earthly possessions are unreliable, and so they turn to God. That's what Elijah was praying for the whole time, that they would turn to God. And thus they pray. Why? Because the reality hits them that not much else is dependable. And say they have to turn to God and pray. So, so you see, when we pray, we pray with confidence, and we've got to remain faithful and obedient regardless of the outcome of the situation. There's this incredible story in the Old Testament, these three characters, you might be familiar with them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they were told to worship and to bow down to these pagan gods, and they refused. Um, people saw them, and they decided, we're going to take these guys to King Nebuchadnezzar. He was the head honcho of the time, and he's the one that put the idols up in the first place. So they take them to King Nebuchadnezzar, and they said, hey, these young Israelite guys, they won't worship your gods. They're going to worship somebody they call the one true God. So he said, okay, bring them to me. And he was not happy about it. So these three young boys, they're brought into the king. And the king said, look, you're going to need to bow down or I'm going to throw you in a fiery furnace and I'm going to burn you alive. For most of that's all it would take. We'd say, okay, I'm bowing down. I'm not going to really believe it, but I'll bow down because I don't want to go in the furnace. Not what these guys did. You see, um, we don't face furnaces in our context. I don't. I've never been faced a furnace for my faith before. You know what we face most often? Discomfort. We say, well, it makes me a little uncomfortable if I pray in public or read my Bible in public or talk to somebody about Jesus. And so we call that uh, persecution or we call that whatever we want to call it. But it's really, it's, it's discomfort. But it's not burning for our faith, certainly. Here's what these guys did. Daniel chapter 3, verse 16. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar. We do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. That's confidence there. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. That's praying and living with confidence. So how does God direct us to pray with confidence, earnestly? And here's the third one. I think we never think about this in our lives. He calls us to pray strategically. Strategically. What do we mean by that? Have you ever noticed that when you start out your day and you plan out what you're going to do at work, what you're going to accomplish, what your goals are, and how you're going to get it done, your day just goes a little bit better and you accomplish more? Or maybe at your house, have you noticed that it goes smoother at home or with the kids when you like plan out your meals and your activities over the course of the week? Usually by Thursday, I'm remembering I should have planned out this week in the meals. It would have gone a lot smoother uh, with us. Having a strategy 
when we pray, noticing when we write stuff down, when we go with our requests, when we keep a prayer journal, our prayers become so much more focused. Here's what I want to finish off with in the next couple minutes. I believe there's three general categories of how we pray. The first of these categories is most of our prayer. If you're a praying person, most of your prayers probably fall under the most, this first category. The second category, I think the remaining of our prayers fall under this category. And the third category, most of us would never even dawn on us to pray for this category as well. And so let's take a look at these quickly. Level one is me. I pray for myself. It's not only natural to think about ourselves when we pray, it's actually allowed by God. Do you know that? The Bible says you can pray for yourself and bring your petitions before the Lord. It's not wrong to pray for yourself. God, supply me a job, supply finances, help me to be, how to be a good parent, help me to get through this class I'm taking, help me to find a spouse, find purpose in life, whatever. Here's the problem. Most of us get stuck in this level. This is all we ever pray for is ourselves. In reality, the Bible teaches us it's much more healthy if this is the smallest category that we pray for. Paul, who took, uh, who, who wrote, uh, I'm sorry, who most of the book of Acts is about, he has this phrase later on in his writing where he actually calls us baby Christians. Now, don't take that baby Christians as something, you know, was super derogatory. It means we never got off a level. We never advanced or moved forward here. And that's what staying on the me level when I pray, it keeps us on. We can't really mature if we stay camped out on this level. So what's the next level? The next level is others. We pray for others. We intervene on the ha behalf of others. I've been following a text thread from a friend back in Phoenix about a little girl, Lucy, who has this fungus in her body. And, and every time they keep taking some out, it's growing in another spot. And it's hard for them to detect where it's coming from before the symptoms show up. And it is really, literally, it is destroying her body. And she's about six years old. Are we praying for her? Yeah, that, that's what the whole thread the, is, is. It's a, like a prayer text thread that's going on. We pray for others. We intervene on behalf. We lift up others. You know how wonderful it is when somebody comes up to you and and they share something, and you, instead of you saying, hey, I'll pray for you, if you say, hey, let me pray for you right now, and you just go right before them, significant to pray for others. But here's the thing, is if we only pray for ourselves, and we only pray for others, we're forgetting a very significant level that puts us on the heart of God. And you say, well, what's wrong with praying for other people? Nothing wrong. We should be praying for other people. But we don't want to stop there. There is this level, this third level, that it's so important that we pray for. And that is that we pray for God's mission. We pray for his mission here on earth. Listen, I'm a parent, right? And you're parents, many of you. And I would say pray for my kids. Help them to get into a great college. Help them to find the right spouse for them. Help them to, to get the right career. Lord, help them to surrender their life to you and be a Christian. And we pray for our kids. Help them at their baseball tryouts today. And we pray like that, right? Think about it, though. When was the last time we said, Lord, I surrender my kids to you. Take them to Africa to make a difference for your kingdom if that's what you want to do. Raise them up to impact people uh, that are far from you, God. Send them into the school and to find that one person that doesn't know you, that isn't loved, that isn't cared for, and let my 
my son or daughter be the person that does that? You see, it's different form of prayer. We're praying for God's mission. We're praying that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Sound familiar to you how Jesus taught us to pray? It's praying for God's mission. The example is, Lord, would you raise up more warriors in this service today, right here, to go out and reach the triad? Use my children to take the gospel to the friends. I mean, would you give me more boldness to share in the marketplace? Instead of me just praying for my raise, Lord, would you empower me to reach somebody for Christ this week in my neighborhood? It's different. It's a different form of prayer when we start praying for God's mission. When we start praying for God's mission, we get on the heart of God. We get on the wavelength of God, and we pray just like him. Here's what Paul has to say in Ephesians 6. And pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and for Gentiles alone. Now, is he praying for himself there? Well, yeah, it's about him. But he's wanting power to share God's mission. I'm afraid most of the time as Christians, we don't think this way. We don't pray this way. We're not missional all the time. And that's why we don't see God move. In fact, it's often why we'd say, you know, my prayers were never answered. God is sitting there saying, well, how about the prayer to partner with me and do what you're here to really do? And so we don't see the difference that we otherwise could see in our prayers. Here's our purpose at Windover Hills. It's to help one more person find their way back to God. That's really our purpose. It's our mission. It's what we're here for. It's what this whole series on Unleashed is all about. So when was the last time you prayed? Lord, use me to help one more person find their way back to you. In fact, I want to give you a challenge this week. And this is going to sound really, really crazy. It's almost going to sound like I don't value praying for yourself or for others, and I do tremendously. I want to ask this week that you would take that prayer I just read. Lord, help me. Use me to help one more person. Find, excuse me. Use me to help one more person find their way back to you. That you would say a simple prayer like this at the forefront of every prayer you say this week. Even at, like at the dinner table? Yeah, why not? Why not at the dinner table? The potatoes can wait. You can pray for them after that. Pray for, me for God's mission at the forefront of every prayer you make this week. Does it mean it's not important to, to pray for that rough work situation? No, pray for it. Pray for God's mission at the forefront of everything. Here's the takeaway this morning. It's simple. The issue is, is not that we should pray more. That's not necessarily our issue. Maybe for you, you need to start doing some praying, period. But the issue is not that we should pray more. The issue is that we should understand God's heart and God's mission and pray accordingly. That's our takeaway this morning. Praying the way God prays, the way God thinks, and what his mission is. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to finish off our time in prayer. And I've asked three uh, people from our congregation to come up and to pray for you. And this is how it's going to work. I want you this morning to bring whatever uh, petition, whatever is going on in your life that you need prayer for personally. Listen, this morning it could be a health issue that you're just struggling with 
just now or it's been nagging you for a long time and we're going to pray specifically for that. could be a relational issue, a marriage issue, a, a issue with your kid and we're going to pray for that. Whatever's going on in your life, work, financial, whatever's happening there, I want you to be able to come and to be prayed for this morning. And then uh, at the end of that prayer, we're going to be praying for other people. What, whatever is going on in other people's lives, outside these doors, anywhere, we're going to pray for those things too. Now, one person is going to be up here praying, but I want you to be praying wherever you're at. And then finally, though, um, I've asked somebody to come up and to pray for the mission of the church. A few weeks ago, I shared with you our desire to grow to 200. It's just a number. But we said, what would it be like if we were to grow to 200 completely with new believers? Conversion growth. It's not happening in most churches. It's mostly transfer growth. But what if we prayed for the mission of God before every prayer and God used us to impact people's lives and they came to know Jesus Christ right here with us or over the course of the week and they were part of our church because they became believers. We're going to pray for that in our final prayer, the mission of the church that we're all going to be a part of. 120. We've got more than that right here to go out and to make a difference, just like the book of Acts. So I want to invite you right now. We're going to, we'll linger just a minute while Greg prays. Come, please use these steps as the altar. Bring whatever thing as big, or if you think it's petty, it doesn't matter. God wants to hear it. If it's going on in your life, I want you to come and be prayed for uh, right now. So would you come? If there's somebody else that you know down the road, family member, somebody else that needs prayer, we're going to pray for them right after the first prayer. So please come down to the altar and we will pray for those things. I know everything's not perfect. Need some prayer. So we're going to do that. Sometimes the biggest holdups to going before God and praying is how could I possibly let anyone else know that something's going on? Encourage you to, to get over that this morning. Get your prayer. All right. For those that are down here and where you're at, would you pray your own prayer for yourself, for whatever's going on in your life, your family's life? Keep it close on this one. Why Leslie leads us in this prayer, excuse me, Rich leads us in this prayer.
So now we're going to go into a time of praying for others. And, um, and I wanted, I just failed to remember, to bring our teens down to be prayed for as they're headed to camp. So would you guys just make your way down uh, now? And, and maybe, uh, maybe you can pray for someone else in this situation. Hop out of your chair and come lay hands on our teens and bless them as they head to, to camp as well. Wherever you're at, you can pray for someone else. You know somebody's sick. You know somebody's struggling. You know a neighbor that needs something. Pray on their behalf intervene for them now. Pray for our teens uh, as well as Rich just did for us. Who have been hurt by others, Lord God. 
or have put scars on themselves from hurt they may have caused God. Heal them from those scars, Lord Jesus. Let them just be scars, not open wounds anymore, but a story to honor and glorify you in forgiveness for those who have hurt and in forgiveness for themselves, Lord God, if they have hurt. May they know your pure love and forgiveness over their life. For those around us, Lord, who need spiritual healing, Father, who are dealing with some very deep spiritual battles that Satan is just attacking them left and right, even with small things, as, as Tommy had talked about this morning, some of the things that don't go right, Lord, Satan just wants to turn those and keep our eyes and our focus off of you. We pray for those around us who are battling those spiritual battles this morning, God. We pray for protection over them. We pray for wisdom from your word and from your truth. Father God, for our teens, we know that this is a very important time for our God. The camp is such a special place. And this is the week that a lot of them will hear your call into ministry of some kind or to know you as their Savior for the first time, or to rededicate their life to you, that from here on out, they will serve you in whatever manner. We don't pray that for some of those teens, God. We believe it, and we claim it for every single team that we are sending to that camp, God. We believe and we claim that every single team will hear your word, and will hear your truth, and will draw closer to you, and come back and show us adults how to do it that they will be our light next week. They will be our light and our path to know you deeper. Father, we pray for our leaders, for Zeb and Liz as they go, not only as they minister to the teens, but that you would minister to them, Lord. Strengthen them physically, protect them physically, emotionally, and spiritually, Lord God. Bless them with, with things beyond even our own of what a gift is, God, for their obedience. Thank you that we can bring others to you and know that you have them in your hand. Your holy name, we pray all of these things. Amen. And our final prayer this morning, I've asked Ray if he would pray for the mission of our church, that he would pray for each one of us, that we'd be part of that mission. And so here's your job as he's praying this, your prayer to pray, and just pray it over and over. Just say, Lord, use me to help one more person find their way back to God. One more person. How are you going to use me this week? And so join Ray as he shares his prayer.
been so important and so valuable. And I felt it so strongly, and our whole family has felt it during this, uh, this life. But now is where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. Lord, I thank you for this church, Lord. I 
thinking was that you put this church up and what you call us to become and to be, Lord. I pray that each and every one of us this week will remember that mission. I pray that you'll etch it and burn it into our hearts. I pray that you will take us through the first two levels of prayer and keep us on our knees, Lord, until we hear your answer. Help us to wait for you and to know. Um, but also let us be bold, Lord. Um, I've read a book called The, uh, the Ten Second Rule, and it says uh, if you don't react, if you don't respond to what the Holy Spirit tells you what to do, what you're reasonably sure of in the first ten seconds, then Satan steps in. And he'll change your mind and he'll alter it and he will he will take away your courage and take away your resolve. So Lord, right now, I just pray that each and every one of us will do and act upon what we're reasonably sure that we hear your Holy Spirit tell us. And we do it quickly. Do it within that 10 seconds and be bold. And Lord, I expect, I just can't wait. We look forward to hearing the, the testimonies and the stories uh, of lives that are changed and hearts that are touched. I pray for every one of our young people, Lord, that are I pray, Lord, that you will give each one of them an opportunity to minister to somebody. Maybe somebody that's hurting. Maybe somebody that doesn't know you. Maybe somebody that just needs that comforting touch in their lives, Lord. Give that opportunity to each one of them. Open it also to each of us, Lord. Anoint us, bless us, and show us, Lord. Just so clear, so clearly what we need to do those that are hurting around us, those that need that special touch. And Father, we just pray for your, your mission in this church to be accomplished. We pray for that 200. And we pray for those new souls, Lord, that did not know you. And now they're coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ with the ministry of somebody in this church. And Lord, what a glorious day that will be when we gather and when we celebrate the baptism. And the baptism together in one voice we'll praise you for your goodness and your glory and we'll just thank you Lord. thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus name Amen well thank you for going before the Lord and I pray that that would really continue this week now a couple instructions I, I've got to give you as we're finishing up this week we do have to take down the chairs. Uh, so when you're done, if you'll put some your chair on the back wall or grab a chair around you, that'd be helpful. Everything else can stay, uh, but they're going to bring carpets in here and clean them this week. So we'll have to move our chairs out of the way. Um, so that'd be great. Final thing I wanted to do, if you are a ministry leader, that means you kind of head up one of our ministries, one of our rooms, or you're a board member, do you mind just standing uh, for us? Yeah. All ministry leaders. Yeah, our worship leaders, directors, yeah. All right, good, good. Will you just, would you just give them a round of applause, those that head up a ministry? Yeah. We just, um, we just really appreciate what you guys do. And, uh, you know, just thinking this week as I graphed out everything going on in the church that we're just, we, we are basically driven by volunteers, what, what we do. And it's people that, they work jobs, 
like anyone else, yet they surrender their time to make sure that they're not just maybe in a classroom or, or something, but they're, they're leading a group. And so I really appreciate what you're doing. And, uh, um, and if you are one that, that maybe that's not your position, if you wouldn't just mind recognizing these people every once in a while, thanking them for what they do, that would be a, a big blessing for them, uh, I know. So, good. We're going to take our tithes and offerings, so drop your cards, uh, your little envelopes that are on your seat. I know, fold it up, it'll fit in there. No, we've got the bigger ones now, right? So, good. Uh, everything will go in there. Drop that in as the, uh, the ushers uh, come through. That would be great. You can pick up your grasshopper tickets in the back if, if you're ready to do that this morning. We'll, have, we'll sell them from now throughout uh, the rest of the time. And uh, why don't you say a little world, word to one of these teens heading to camp uh, as well when, when you see them uh, as you're headed out. So why don't you stand with me and we'll go out singing one more. <laughs>